So yesterday, Lauren uh, and the girls and I were on our way back from spring break, like uh, so many of us were yesterday. And we were driving in the car, and Ed Emerson tried to call me. It's 3.08 in the afternoon, he tried to call me, and I was in that space where, you know, an hour outside of Abilene, my cell phone doesn't work too well, and so we couldn't connect. And Ed doesn't normally call me, he usually texts me, so I wondered if something was going on, and I tried to call him, and I couldn't get a hold of him. That was at 3.10, and then at 3.14, he called back, and he told me that there'd been a horrible accident and Mark Rogers had died. Uh, you can't be ready for that. You just can't be ready. And there's a part of you immediately that thinks it can't be true. Right? It can't, it can't be true. My sweet Riley, who knew Mark well, who was in VBS with Mark, said, you, you don't think maybe he's playing a trick on us, do you? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that kind of what you... Mark was... He was so fun, and he was so funny, and he was playing tricks on you all the time. <laughs> and that made more sense to Riley than what's really happening, what happened. And we come to church on a day like this because brothers and sisters, church is the very best place we can come. And it's the place where we're going to face this directly. We're going to face it head on because we're people of hope. We're people of faith. And we're people who not only belong to God, but we we belong to one another. And we need each other. And and while there may be a part of us that, you know, feels like today shouldn't be all about this because it's, it's uncomfortable to have to think about and face death. If we don't, if we as God's people don't find the courage to face it, and we try to deny it, or we try to move on quickly, or we try to change the subject, or we, we try to rush past the feelings that we have. I promise you that this is true about grief. If you don't deal with your grief, it will deal with you. It will, it will it'll work on you. And so if we don't work on this grief together, it, it's not like we can escape it. We have to do the work. And we do that work together. We do that work as a family of faith. And on a day like today, I mean, I, the, the only blessing of this happening on the shortest night of the year, when you lose an hour, is that it was just one less hour I was tossing and turning. I mean, I got in bed last night. I never went to bed. Because what in the world am I supposed to say this morning? that could make it better. 
Well, it's not, it's not any word I'm going to say. Because words fail us in moments like these. But God's word carries us through moments like these. So I want us to read together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. So what do these words say? Well, the first thing is that we grieve with hope. And both sides of that statement are true. We grieve with hope. You know, there, there are times as, as Christians, I think we don't feel like we have the full permission to grieve the loss of somebody we love because we, we fully expect that this is not the end. And we should expect that. But they're gone from us. And we don't know for how long. And so we grieve with hope. Last night, with hope, and Halen and, and Hunter in three consecutive pediatric rooms. Jen was just sleepwalking through a nightmare. Because she's going to have to tell them. I told her, do you want me to tell them while you hold them? What do you, what do you want to do? No, I have to tell them. And what she doesn't need from any one of us in the days to come is to quickly push through that and say, man, I'm so thankful for the hope of heaven. That's true. It's absolutely true. I'm thankful. I'm grateful for the hope of heaven. But we're not there yet. And we don't know how long we're going to wait. 
You know, and we're tempted in moments like this to say, well, God knows what it's like to lose a son. Yeah, God does know what it's like to lose a son, but God lost his son for three days. We don't know how many days. That's what's so hard. So I just, I want to... I want to be clear about this. Paul doesn't say in 1 Thessalonians, Christians don't grieve, that they don't miss people that they've loved and lost. They absolutely grieve, but we grieve with hope. Hope is not an excuse to not grieve. Hope is, an ex- is, the, is the thing that helps us have the strength to grieve in ways that, that we need to. You know, I, I know it's hard to face it. But we have to find the strength to face it, and we can. And it's because of the second thing that Paul talks about here, right? Which is that we remind one another that the power of the resurrection is absolutely stronger than the power of death. There's a reason that that we can't bring ourselves to believe this is it. That it's over, because this isn't it, and it's not over. And yet, I have always struggled when Paul writes in, in another letter, you know, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And I want to say to Paul, it's just about everywhere right now. Look around. And Paul would agree with that. But he would, he, he would tell us, I know it hurts, and I know it stings. But it will not have the final word. It will not overcome us. Because the power of the resurrection is stronger. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Mark chapter 5 when these parents are losing their daughter to an illness. And she dies. She dies while Jesus is on the way to heal her. And when he gets there, do you remember what he says? She's just sleeping. And they laugh at him because they know she's dead. Here's what they don't understand. In the presence of Jesus, death is no more powerful than sleeping. And he's going to wake her up. And he does wake her up. And he gives her back to her parents. The power of the resurrection is stronger than the power of death. Even though it's, it's so present and it's so overwhelming at times, we remind one another this is never the end. The third thing that Paul wants us to, to imagine as we and our hearts ask questions about, you know, where, where's Mark? What's happening? And as you read Scripture, as Scripture tries to describe the afterlife, it makes sense that the people writing about that struggle to put it into words, right? So they talk in a lot of different ways, and we end up talking in a lot of different ways about what happens right after the moment that we, we leave this, this life, and step into the next one, right? And, and what Paul says clearly, 
And he reaches for that same language that was in Mark chapter 5, right? He says these people are asleep in Christ. And so what we can know, we find comfort in the fact that we know that the people that we've loved and lost are safe with Jesus, even though they aren't with us. They're with Christ. Mark is with Christ. And if he has anything to say about it, he's making him laugh. He's with Christ. He's safe. He's not with us. That's what's so hard about today. He's not with us. But he's with Jesus. And we find comfort in that. Because we haven't just lost Mark. You haven't just lost Mark. You've lost other people. You know, I find every time I stand in front of a grave, all the other graves in my life open up again. You may find the same thing. You're right back. It's that place where you lost somebody. They're safe. They're with Christ. We find comfort in that. And finally, he says... We hold on to the hope that we will see them again. I love the fact that here in in 1 Thessalonians, one of the key things, I think it's the whole reason he addresses what happens in the afterlife is people are wondering about reunion, not only with Jesus. They obviously, they want to see Jesus face to face, just like we all want to see Jesus face to face. But their second question immediately after that is, will we see them again? Will there be a reunion Not just a union with God, but a reunion with all these people that we give anything to be with again. And Paul's clear answer is, heaven is about reunion. You know, Mark Twain lost a lot of people in his life. In fact, you know, that's not even his name. It was a a pen name. And it's what they yell out. He grew up kind of on the shores of the Mississippi. You yell Mark Twain when you're on a steamboat and it's about to run aground. That's the phrase people would yell out, Mark Twain. We're about to crash. Who names themselves that? Somebody who's been through a lot of crashes. Lost a lot of people. And at one point, he described what it was like to lose somebody suddenly, right? Because it's different than when you lose somebody who's been sick for a long time, and you can kind of prepare yourself, and you get ready. It's going to be unspeakably hard, but you're you're ready because you can see it coming, and you can kind of get yourself prepared, right? But none of us were ready. I wasn't ready at 314 yesterday for the phone call I got from Ed. And Mark Twain said, you know, when that happens, when you lose somebody all at once, It is a gift that you can't measure all that you've lost in that moment because it would undo you. But it's like your house burned down and you think you know all the things that you lost when your house burned down, but you can't actually keep track of all of it. So what happens is you move into a new house and you start reaching for things that you think you have and you realize they were in that house. They're gone. Well, in the coming days, you and I are going to reach for a certain embrace, for a certain voice, for a certain expression, for a certain joke, and we're going to find out they were in Mark. 
And we're going to need one another because every time we discover another thing we've lost in losing Mark, we have, we have to find a way to remind one another that, that God is with us through this and that God is going to carry us through this and that we want to be living expressions of, of God to one another. Brothers and sisters, we have to speak this truth to each other that we will see Mark again. We will. And I guess the last thing I want to say, and this, this is kind of a freebie I'm throwing in. It's not even in First Thessalonians. But here's what I want us to be careful with because this is what happens when someone's 39 years old and they die unexpectedly. We start trying to explain why that happened. We try to figure it out. I don't think we can help it. I think our minds and our hearts want to try to understand it. Here's what I want to say to you. God doesn't help us make sense of death. God helps us defeat it. Nobody needs my conjectures about why this this might have happened. And I want to be clear with you, this shouldn't have happened. It's not right. It's not fair. And I'm angry with God that it happened. And maybe you are too. And that's okay. God can handle your anger. He doesn't need me to theologically defend him from you. He can handle it. It's wrong that this happened. It's As Robert mentioned, this is a direct result of living in a fallen world, right? These things happen. And just like when you read the story of Job, you finally get to Job 38, and his helpful friends have tried to explain his suffering to them, and all they've done is make, they've made things worse. And God even says, you haven't spoken the truth about me. You've tried to blame me for what's going on in Job's life. I didn't cause these things to happen to Job. So here's the, the move that God makes that you and I need to make as church members, okay? When, when somebody asks why, God says, I'm here. God refuses to get into this back and forth of some kind of theological algebra, why bad, why bad things happen to good people. God doesn't enter into that. He enters into Job's broken life and brings healing, We're going to ask the question why, but I really wish we could move on to remind ourselves, not, not why does this happen, but who is the God we trust? Not why, but who? Who is the God I trust? He's not interested in us explaining away people's suffering and sorrow and pain. He wants us to step into it. And I, I'm pretty sure that takes more courage than trying to explain it. Okay, so I want to be as practical as I can be here. You know, I, I've had all kinds of people. Mark was everything I'm not. <laughs> he was the life of the party. He was in shape. Uh, people liked him. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, he did. You know what I'm saying. So you can imagine how, how far-ranging my texts have been in the last 24 hours of people who who not only knew Mark, but love him. And all of them want to help, right? We all want to help. I think that's, that's the God in us that wants to help, to do something. We want to do something.
Here's what I want to tell you. They're in shock. They're in shock. And they're in a hospital, and we're in COVID. So you can't get to them yet. But you can write notes. You and your family can write cards and, and maybe, you know, if, if you have a gift, if, you, if you're a kid and you're still confident in your artistic ability, I lost that somewhere, you know, draw them a picture. This, this is them. These are their names. If, if, you, if you didn't know how to spell Halen until right now, write it down. Write their names down. Because I'm telling you right now, this is just the beginning of a lifelong journey that they're going through. And they don't only need a crush of people that care right now. They need us to care a year from now and two years from now. And on and on and on. They need us to care. And, you know, people are texting Jen from all over the place. I think last night she had over 200 texts already. Um, when I was talking to her about just anything, every five to seven seconds I'd have to start over because she couldn't listen to me. Right? So you, you're, if you have the, her number and you want to text her, that's fine. I would not expect a response. I think one of the things that might be really meaningful is for us to write cards and notes and send them to the house so that she can read them when she's ready. You know, but text and email will work. It just may take her a long time to get through them. I've already seen people start posting, kind of eulogizing Mark on social media. I think eventually she's going to be able to go and look at that, but she's not going to be able to handle that right now. Nobody, I'm going to tell you now, don't try to call her. You know, she has to make a bunch of heart-wrenching phone calls in the next 48 hours that she can't avoid and she probably can't pick up. The other thing, uh, Whitney Mascaro texted me this morning uh, a picture of a parking lot. This is the building. So this, this is uh, Ambler and Pine. And Whitney kind of circled the, the part. I think that's the Hendrick Health Club there across the way. These are just below that roof line. Those are the windows where they are. And Whitney said, I think it would be a great idea... Jen can't see anybody because of COVID, but she can see you in that parking lot. And so if anybody today in the next today or tomorrow, like we don't know how long they're going to be in the hospital, but if you want to go there, turn your hazards on, have some signs that you've made to hold up, she's going to be looking out that window. I don't know. I just found out about this. If a group of you, a group of us wants to try to pick a time and go down there and, and do this, I don't know. I just know that she needs to know that we're with her. She needs to see it. We gather around this table, and I think oftentimes we're only talking about Jesus' sacrificial death. And it's because it's Jesus' death that unlocks the gift of grace and forgiveness that, that we need so desperately in our lives. I understand why we, we talk about it, but it's interesting that, that when Paul describes communion, he says, you proclaim his death until he comes again. And so caught up in the Lord's Supper is, is not only a focus on death and loss, but it's a focus on the power 
of God to raise us up. It is not only a crucifixion meal, it's a resurrection meal that we have as a family. And so we're going to take it in just a moment together. But I want you this week to think less about Jesus dying on the cross. And I want you to think more about the fact, you know, there are some things we do in this life that we'll continue to do in heaven. And one of the things we're going to continue to do in heaven is feast as a family. Jesus will be at the table. And Mark will be too. I mean, he's missing today. But when we feast in heaven together, no one will be missing. And I want us to lean into that future. I want us to hold on to that conviction. I want, I want, as you take the, the, the bread and the cup this morning, I want that to be a prayer. Not just of thanksgiving for what God has done, but a prayer of anticipation of what God will do for us and among us and through us. You know, I... Uh, Keith and I... last night uh, called the, the police line uh, to try to find Mark's body. And so we got a call back, one of the officers... And he started crying. And he said, everybody who was at that scene, in one way or another, we knew Mark. And so we were praying. I just want you to know we were praying over him. We were praying over him. You know that story in Mark 5 where Jesus raises that little girl from the dead? This is why I love the story. He says to her, little lamb, get up. And she does. And however many words we use when we pray in a time like this, I can tell you, I, I don't know the specific words that the, the firemen and the, the traffic police and all the, the AMTs, all the people who were there, I don't know exactly how they prayed, but I promise you what they were praying is, Mark, get up. Get up. That's what we're all praying. Get up. There is only one who can say those words and then they come true. And Mark is safe with him. And we're together as God's people. It's where we should be today to hold one another up until that day we get to see everyone again that we miss as much as life itself. So let's, let's pray for the, the bread, we'll sing together, we'll pray for the cup. This is a resurrection feast. Let's make it that this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your son. Who gives us the indestructible hope of life after death. And we are holding on to that hope, that unshakable truth with everything we have. And so we just pray that you'd help us to believe it and trust it. 
and give each other strength. Because God, we need you to heal us. We need you to heal Jen and Halen and Hope and Hunter and Urban and Melissa and Randy and Deborah. We need you to heal all of us in a way that we believe only you have the power to do. And so we, we pray for that power, God. As we take this bread, help us to be knit together again in your body, in your family, so that we can experience that power together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.